Good morning, Life Church. As you can see, we're doing something a little bit different this morning. Nonetheless, let's just all gather together and worship and open up our hearts as we uh, speak to the Lord this morning. You call me Lord, you know my name. Lord, we are so grateful 
and thankful that we can just stand before you and worship you, Lord, with arms wide open. I pray for my brothers and sisters that are out there. I pray that you will just, just bless them, Lord, as only you can. I worship you and praise you this morning for you are worthy to be praised. Speak to us, Father, in all the ways that we can Lord. Help us, Father. Unite this nation, Lord, we ask. Help us to show love, Father. I'm living. I'm living my life for you. I'm giving everything to
Lord, we just run to you again and again. Lord, you are uh, the source of our life. You're the source of all joy, all peace, all fulfillment, God. It's in you and in you alone. Father, we are tempted and we are foolish just to chase after anything, Lord, that is other than you. It's temporal. It's it's short-lived, but you, God, your love, your, your peace, the satisfaction that you give us, it's lasting, it's everlasting. So again and again, God, we come to you, and again and again, God, you renew us, you fill us, you restore us. And we just, Lord, we, we thank you. We just are so grateful, God, today for your grace and your mercy that's new every morning. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. We love you. Stay tuned for the message, and we'll see you soon. Good morning, Life Church. It is coming down the wire. We are going to get together soon, I'm fairly certain, back in this room. I miss you guys. It is Father's Day, and I will tell you that uh, I am surprised to be a father, <laughs> in all honesty. Uh, in my 20s, I was a hot mess. I could not imagine bringing another child into this world, and let alone rearing it and raising it. So it's amazing, isn't it, how God brings things into your life that are such a left field, and you think, wow, I never saw that coming. But I'm glad to be a, a dad. I can't imagine not being a father. Um, apologies to all the dads out there. Uh, I have the most beautiful, amazing daughter in the world. She is tremendous, and I love her um, more than anything else in the world. I have huge respect for my dad now. It is the hardest job and the most wonderful job in the world. My dad raised um, my brother and I as a single father, so I can't even imagine doing that because I have an amazing woman that helps me and I can't imagine doing it. So um, I can't, I, I am in awe of what my dad did. Isn't it amazing what we put our parents through, isn't it? <laughs> I think my parenting um, skills, life, could be summed up in a, in a quote from a Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler movie called, I think it's called Casino Night. Uh, they are parents of a 17-year-old girl who's going off to college and they don't have any money, so they're trying to think of a way to, um, to get money, so they hold a casino in their house. But at one point in, their, in Will Ferrell's uh, uh, confusion and frustration as a parent, he pulls Amy Poehler into the kitchen and in a frustrated, urgent whisper, he says, there's gonna come a moment when she realizes, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> that sums up being a dad, being a parent. We just do our best and thank God that Jesus is so helpful, isn't he? So amazing if we're open to his uh, leadership and his input. Um, but thanks, Will Farrell. you just summed it up for me. Um, and one thing I do wanna say, some of you watching may not have the best relationship with your dad, even now. Uh, that was me 
in my 20s, my late 20s, I was estranged from my dad for a few years and I thought to myself, I don't need a dad. Um, but I would encourage you to keep praying for healing because my dad and I are uh, healed and I just can't imagine my life without my dad now. It's just such an amazing um, ride and I'm so glad he's in my life. So keep praying if your dad um, and you and your dad are not uh, reconciled. I have a picture of what a dad is, and that really is a father, to me, is a bow of a ship. It's no, um, it's no wonder that a bow of a ship is not straight. Um, it would not help the ship very much. The bow of the ship is um, pointed to be in front of the ship to plow through and to uh, divide the water and to be out in front of the ship. And that's what a healthy father is. Uh, to me, a healthy father is out in front of the family, praying for the family, interceding, doing the unseen things, not only uh, the things we do see, which is protection and provision, um, but it's the unseen things, the interceding, the, the times we spend praying for our kids that our kids will never know about, praying for our spouses. And in a lot of ways, um, this mirrors what God calls us to do as, as his kids. As his, um, as his followers, is to be the bow of the ship for this world, to be out in front, along with the Holy Spirit, praying and interceding for this world, the world events, uh, interceding for our neighbors, for our family members that don't know Jesus. It's uh, praying for this. There's, it's kind of interesting because the world can be awfully annoyed at Christians, and rightly so, a lot of times. But how often have um, hurricanes been silenced, wars been averted, diseases been pushed back, viruses been broken because of the praying, faithful petitions and prayers of Christians? That's what the unsaved will never know. When the intercession of Christians reach heaven and are out in front like the bow of a ship. When you and I come to Jesus, we're given a, uh, an amazing uh, invitation, and that is to join Jesus in a task. He gives us a mission. I think it's interesting, too, because Jesus doesn't wait for us. He doesn't say, come back in 10 years uh, when you've accrued a certain amount of spiritual points or you're part of a club now, right after we're saved, we get all of Jesus, right? We get all of his spirit. We get the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit, all that's given to us in that moment. And in that moment, he gives us this mission. And he says, in essence, he says, now that I've saved you, I want you to turn around and tell others what's been done for you. It's, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, it's, it's called the task of reconciliation. Uh, let me read this to you. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In the Latin, reconciliation means repair, repairing something that's been broken. And that's the amazing gift that God has given us, this privilege of not weeding the garden. It's not like God says, go out back and weed now, do the work. He says, I want you to join me in transforming the lives of people 
That's an amazing gift and privilege. And to be a part of that, when you are part of something like that, when you see something like happen up front and up close and personal, it's, it's revolutionary, not only for us and of course for the person that it, it happens. There is also, if you could replace the word reconciliation, you could also stick in the word ministry of involvement. Once we become Christians, you can look through the Bible, Jesus says, it's time to get involved. You hear that when I preach a lot. It seems to be something that God is working in me more and more. It's something that, that is really, you heard in the last message I preached, right? With the, what is in your hand? What do you have in your hand now, God says? What can you do now? This is buzzing in me right now. It's getting involved. Time to wake up and get involved. Get off the sidelines. The ministry of involvement, the ministry of reconciliation. It sounds wonderful, and it is. But there is a fox in the hen house with this. We do get involved. We do get involved with people's lives. We do pray for people. But a lot of times, we bring into this involvement a very human point of view. And this point of view, because with it comes baggage. It's our perspective now. It's a human point of view. Times, a lot of times we don't even, uh, we don't consult God when we make these, we have these human points of view. So when we get involved with situations or we start praying for people, we already have opinions on this situation. We already have a judgment on this situation. And if we're not careful, this can actually poison the waters. It can taint our prayers if we're not uh, aware of this. Paul looks at this and he tells new Christians in Corinthians, he says, no, no. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so hard to do? We live in a society now that renders a judgment within 30 seconds of a spot being done on the news. Right? You hear about something, a murder, a crime, a situation, and you render a judgment or an opinion on 30 seconds flat or less. And we're getting this from the media. <laughs> Who is biased? Who is not giving us objective? How in the world can we do this? But we do it. The world does it and, it, and we as Christians do this as well. What is it in us that feels the need to offer an opinion on every subject? Why? Why do we need to write these giant posts on Facebook and air out our uh, points of view? What is it in us that, that has to open our mouth all the time with an opinion? <laughs> it's frustrating because it's in all of us. I feel it in myself. Why can't I just listen? Uh, about 10 years ago, um, I had no idea that that I, my life was going to change on meeting this person. Ten years ago, I met someone that I was working with at Jedi, when they were working at Jedi, and I had no idea that I was unwrapping a present in that moment. In that moment, God was giving me a gift of one of my dearest and closest friends that I have. We bike ride every week. We talk constantly, text all the time, He's a great friend of mine. He's a Christian. 
And he's a homosexual. And I love him like a brother. But let me ask you something. That last statement, he's a Christian, and I spirit-filled, and he's a homosexual. How many of you in this moment, on hearing that statement from me, from the pulpit, are forming an opinion right now? How many of you are fighting a judgment against me, hearing that statement, or wanting to turn this off? I used to, and unfortunately still do from time to time, cast judgment on people and situations from a human point of view. I do this fairly often. I think we do this in our society more than we think. I often, no, when I was younger I did, but I will at times use the Bible as a hammer instead of a life preserver. To my shame, I've done this. I have used the Bible as speaking into a situation. I have used it as a hammer to beat people's arguments back or to beat people down by throwing verses into a situation and not doing it in love. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because I don't think it's just me. For years, I spoke poorly of homosexuals. When I was younger, uh, I didn't grow up around a lot of them before I got into acting, and now that I'm in acting, I'm around homosexuals a lot. But I used to speak poorly of them. That was my perspective. That was my human point of view. What the media tells me sometimes about perspectives, what are uh, of their point of view, or what friends have told me. It was a worldly and human point of view. But that changed when I befriended one. My perspective changed. When I heard of, when I listened to my friend talk to me about the honest struggles he has with loneliness, how he has wrestled with God, how he has felt outcast and broken in many ways, things that I have never thought of with homosexuals. But because I listened to him in that moment and over his life in the last 10 years, it has given me a whole new perspective. It's given me empathy for someone that I never had. My heart broke. And it all started with me listening to him. Shoving my mouth and listening. I've met a lot of Christians, and I was one of them many years ago, but since I've met Christians who have a lot of things to say about homosexuals. They have a bag full of verses. And you know what I say to them? I say, have you ever met one? Do you know any homosexuals in your life? And most, if not all, will say no. How about Muslims? It's really easy to form opinions, isn't it, until you meet one. How about African-Americans? It goes on and on. We form judgments about people 
in a moment time and we build a wall. One of the neat things about being involved in a church, being connected in a church and going week to week and committing to that is that I get to see you guys often, every week. Five of you. <laughs> and I get to know a lot about your lives. But you know, as much as I see your life from week to week and I hear snippets of your life, I don't know what it's like to be you. I don't. I don't know what it's like for you to have grown up in that family and lived on that street in that neighborhood during those years. I don't know what it's like to have gone to that elementary school, to have been bullied. I don't know what it's like when you fought tears and ran to the closet and only you and God knew. I don't know what it was like in your life in high school, how your heart got broken. I don't know what it was like to go to that college, how you felt when you got out of college and got that first job. I don't know truly how it felt when you lost that job or when you met that special someone and when you divorced that special someone or that birth or that death or that diagnosis. I don't really know what it's like to be you. Our lives are made up of our experiences and as much as we can hear about it, we don't really know. And you know what? You don't really know about me, truly. I stand up here and I tell you every now and then stories about myself and how I put my foot in my mouth repeatedly and we all laugh. And <laughs> but you don't know what it's like to be me. If we agree that I don't know what it's like to be you truly and you don't know what it's like to be me, doesn't this crack the door open a bit for empathy? for each other? If I don't really know you and I see you in church or I see you at my job and I know you at, in the work environment or at church, but I really don't know what it's like to live in your skin, doesn't that crack the door open for me to be empathetic with you or at the very least to silence any judgment or to give a moment of pause? And this is people we, we see. What about the people of different cultures, different colors? How often we judge people whose heart beats and have prayers and, and tears just like us, laughter, yet we judge them and think we know them. Funny story. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, I was doing Jedi. And at my job, it is my job to teach kids how to use a lightsaber. Well, all the kids get their lightsaber, and as we're going through the lesson, this kid kept dropping his lightsaber. So, of course, looking for funny moments, I, you know, a couple of jokes, and, you know, the people laugh, the kid laughs, we move on in the show, and the kid comes up to fight Vader. And it's just him and Vader and me. He comes up to fight Vader and he drops his lightsaber again. 
And of course, I make another comment because I've made a judgment. I've rendered him clumsy. And isn't that kind of cute? Well, the kid dropped his lightsaber, and when he went to pick it up, I saw he had only two fingers on his hand. You and I go through our lives lobbing judgment at people, and we really don't know them. You know, there is an itch inside of us that likes to be scratched, that itch that likes to feel righteous. When we, walk, when we watch Fox News or we watch CNN, and then we turn it off and we feel righteous and pointing a finger at the other side and saying, those guys, they're stupid, they're idiot, and even worse, look at Facebook, what they write about our politicians. But there is something in us that feels righteous doing it. I'm in the right because I know about them. I see it and I know. But do we? Folks, remember, the yardstick we use on other people, God will use on us. That's scripture. That should give us a moment of pause. It is not ours as Christian as Christians, to judge anyone outside of the church, ever, ever. It is ours to love. That's what we're called to do. We are living in a powder keg of a moment right now. If you put a black and white filter on the TV, it would feel like it's 1968. How are we still here in this moment? A man was murdered, George Floyd. Despite what we say as white people, we will never know what it's like to be an African-American. We will never know what it's like to have to tell your kids to be careful around police officers people paid to protect us. What is that like to be afraid of police? I don't know if you, uh, if you listen to Z88, I heard Ellis, who is one of the main uh, DJs there on the morning, talk about how it was to be raised as a, an African-American man and have to give that talk to his kids. He said that recently he was in sweatpants having a, walking around his neighborhood at night getting a workout in and a policeman pulled him over, questioned him. We as white people will never understand that. Listen, African Americans have been telling us what it's like to be them for 150 years and a lot of white society has not been listening. How about you? How about me? In this moment that we're going through, with this, with the riots and the protests, have you rendered a judgment? 
Are we lobbing verses like grenades? The shrapnel of our cynicism tearing through the skin of others? Are we using the Bible as a hammer and not like a life preserver? How much empathy do we have as white people, as adopted sons and daughters of the king for our African-American brothers and sisters? There are a lot of red herrings, and I want to caution us. There's red herrings and there's yeah buts. Listen, we are called to love. Not everything done in the protests has been done constructively. Not everything being said on the African-American side is being done constructively. Not everything. What about the looting and the, and the, and the riots or the, uh, the burning? Just listen for a second. Think about this. What if for most of your life you were being you were being persecuted and you tried to get people to realize that this was going on and people weren't listening for your entire life. You were harassed at times and you even saw people die because of this harassment. Would not there be anger? And would it not come out in a way that we could not necessarily predict? Do we have empathy in this moment? Folks, what are we doing now as Christians? What should we be doing as Christians in this moment? And I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to turn around and go on Facebook and write a blog, a post. And in fact, I'm, I hope you don't. There's enough. But I'm honestly asking, what are we doing as Christians? If you look closely, Christianity, the Christian life, is a verb. V-E-R-B. It's a verb. It's action. It's doing. Loving is doing. Are we loving? Are we being empath empathetic? My dad is a mechanical engineer, or he was. He was he's retired now. Uh, my dad is a very can-do kind of guy, and this can be irritating at times because he can fix things. And there's sometimes I don't want things fixed. I just want, <laughs> I just want to talk. But my dad is very smart, and he's a mechanical engineer, so he looks at things as fixing things. But my dad is very boots on the ground kind of guy. And one time he came to visit uh, from up north, and uh, there were, at this point, many years ago, there was a lot of murders in uh, Orlando. And I told him that. We're driving the car. And he listened. And then he said very quietly from the back seat, he said, so what are you going to do about that? That irritated me initially because I just really wanted to complain. But my dad was saying, where's the action? What are you going to do about this? In 2008, a movie came out called The Dark Knight. And it's about Batman. 
versus the Joker. And at a point in the movie, evil is running rampant and winning. And Bruce Wayne as Batman has been downtrodden and is actually doubting himself as uh, a superhero, as a person that can save lives. And at a point in his most frustrated and confused moment, as evil is raging, Bruce Wayne goes to Alfred, who is his butler, but who plays a father figure in his life to him and is a moral compass. And he says to him, Bruce Wayne does, he says, people are dying. What would you have me do? And Alfred says, paraphrasing, he says, it's for this moment that Gotham needs you now. Despite what you feel, how you feel, you are called to this moment. Is this not something we should be asking God about? People are dying, God. People are being persecuted. What should we do? What can I do? The world, ultimately, doesn't need another protest. It doesn't need more legislation. It certainly doesn't need another Facebook post. What it needs is Jesus. What it needs now are Christian people who are awake, empathetic, and loving others, and prayerful, and getting off their couch, and on their knees, or out the front door, and say, God, send me. In this moment, God, this moment of chaos, what can I be doing? It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did in the Second World War, the pastor. It's what many, many people did. And so many stories go unknown, but not to God. Jesus loved the outcast. If Jesus were here today, he would be having dinner with a homosexual and the prostitute and the African-American and everybody else that the world looks on and looks down on as outcasts. That's who Jesus would be hanging out with and loving. Folks, we are the bow of the ship. Jesus, when he gave his life on the cross, and when we come to him and recognize him as Lord, he gives all of himself to us. It is an amazing gift. How in the world can we not be the bow of a ship? Can we not be out there praying and interceding and saying, with you in me, I can do anything? The ministry of involvement. Folks, repair, reconciliation, begins with setting aside our human point of view, being aware of that, that I have it, setting it aside, remembering that it's the Holy Spirit's love inside of us that loves people, not my own, because I will fail every time with that. And lastly, listening. 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 It's what changed my life with my best friend. And maybe if Christians were empathetic and started listening more and talking less, 
maybe there'd be more empathy. There'd be more action, more doing. Remember, it's his strength, his wisdom. It's not our gumption and pull up our bootstraps. It is us in our humbleness and humility saying, God, I have nothing to offer but you. But what you did for me, you can do for someone else. That's where it starts. I love you, Life Church. This is a very important moment in our lives. This is a very, very important moment. God is looking for someone to stick their hand up. In Isaiah 59, it said God was heartbroken because he saw no one willing to intercede. Is that moment now? Are we praying? Are we asking, what do we do now? We need to be a church of action, of prayer. We are. I love you guys. We will see you back here in church fairly soon. Happy Father's Day.